recording. Hello, everyone, and welcome back. Unfortunately, my co-host Marshall was unable to make it due to being swamped by work. Um, hope to have him again soon and record for you guys. But I have a guest host with me, uh, John from the Big Northeast Pod. I'll, I'll let him talk more about it, but I'm so excited to have him here to discuss our Northeastern-centric episode. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, Omar. I'm, I'm really excited to uh, to find other people who who seem to care about <laughs> Northeast college sports. because There's not that m- many of us out there, but myself, I am the proprietor of the uh, Big Northeast podcast, as well as um, some some writing I do on BaselineTimes.com, uh, basically about college sports in general, but mostly with a with a North, Northeast slant and and mostly the um, kind of the the, the big time, either FBS or um, major uh, basketball uh, conferences in uh, in the Northeast. Yeah, and and thank you. Like like you said, thanks for coming on. Like you said, uh, it's hard to find people who care about Northeastern uh, football. At least, I mean, basketball is not too hard with the Big East, but with Boston College and Syracuse not being a, a huge player, and definitely not UMass um, being a huge player in, in FBS football, it's tough. But That'll bring us to our, our first topic today and pretty much the main topic where recently uh, Syracuse and Colgate scheduled a game continuing their rivalry. And if you don't know much about the rivalry, uh, you know, it's fine. You're with most of America, but this was pretty much one of the big games in Northeastern college football in the thirties, forties, and fifties. You look at Colgate's uh, historic teams like the 1932 uninvited un- or un- unscored undefeated untied, unscored upon an uninvited team that was uninvited to the Rose Bowl, went 9-0 and 32. And of course, we all know about Ernie Davis, Jim Brown, and and whatnot. Uh, really a huge rivalry, and it's good to see it come back again. It's been played a couple times earlier in the decade. And also, too, uh, that game's scheduled for 2023. Also in 2023, you have Holy Cross versus Boston College, the original Holy War back in, in Massachusetts. And that game was Pretty much the game of the year every year in Massachusetts, debatably, uh, and that decided some pretty big games for sure in Holy Cross's Golden Age in Boston College. So, John, I want to ask, uh, what are your thoughts on these rivalry games coming back? And do you think that it would be good to see them more frequently or should we just leave them as things in the past? No, so I love it, man. I, I think they should be played every year, you know, and maybe not each end of it. Maybe it doesn't have to be. Colgate Cuse every year doesn't have to be Holy Cross BC every year, but but each of these FBS teams should be playing one local team at at least every year, and I hope it is a continuation of these historical rivalries because they they are so much fun. You know, like at the end of the day, uh, I don't know, maybe some people don't care as much <laughs> as as I do, uh, and and like to see like the local teams playing each other, uh, but yeah, one you know it's it's just fun. You know, two you're gonna have it's going to be better all around for, for the teams involved. You know, you, you have, you're going to have a, a you know, you're, you're going to have a buy game. So the money is going to go further for a local team that only has to take a bus, you know, a hundred miles or, or less rather than a team that has to fly across the country. You know, you're going to have probably more people attending, you know, if like, even though these, these smaller FCS schools don't have as big of an enrollment, don't have a big fan base or anything like that. Their, their fans and their parents and and um, and students are going to come out, you know, to play the big, bad local Syracuse or local Boston College. Like, and that's going to be an amazing moment for for all of these kids to get out there. They probably dreamed about playing for for that school if they're from, you know, from the local area. You know, they, they probably grew up thinking about it. So amazing moment, Bet, you know, more money for for everyone involved. Um, yeah, just just better all around. 
you know, and, and I don't know, maybe we'll get into this a little bit, Omar, like why these went away exactly in the first place. I know that some of them fell victim to the, um, the scholarship limits and, and thus the games were not uh, counted on, um, on the FBS team's bowl eligibility. But I think also some of it may have just been these uh, these FBS teams not really caring or, or wanting to uh, to play anymore. But uh, I, I'm glad they're coming back. I'm thrilled they're coming back. And, and I can't wait to see it. Yeah, I, I'm with you for that as well. Uh, for all the reasons you mentioned, in addition to uh, I studied history in college. So, uh, you know, I'm big. I'm big into like the Patriot League and the Ivy League and really the history of the game. And again, like I said before, like these games are big for the history, but I guess sort of as well, it's kind of good that they're restarting these games occasionally uh, because really the last generation that these games were kind of regular, I mean, they're, they're, they're dying off to say the least. And, you know, who's going to carry on the sort of popularity and the legacy of these rivalries with these people gone. So I guess it's a good start. I'd love to see them every year as well. And I think local games are great. And you mentioned just uh, busting over like the college, like nearby colleges, like the school schools that have done well in doing this are, well, really Army, Navy. Yeah, they've scheduled a variety of Patriot League schools for their uh, paycheck games. And also as well, uh, UConn too, as we'll see uh, in the coming years, they schedule Central Connecticut State and especially Yale. The Yale game is an interesting case this coming year, uh, as that's an old rivalry that continued once uh, UConn was in the Yankee Conference, I believe. Yankee Conference turned Atlantic 10. So, I mean, that, that'll be great. And you mentioned attendance too. I uh, crunched some figures as well. Uh, just looking at the past attendances of these games, you got Syracuse and Colgate in 2010 and 2016. Those drew sort of well with the 2010 return of the rivalry drawing 77% of the Carrier Dome. The return of the Holy Cross Boston College rivalry drew 90% or 91%, excuse me, of uh, Alumni Stadium out in Chestnut Hill. And another game I included was Temple and Bucknell, which, um, that game drew 26,378, but that was 77% of Temple's best-selling home game. As I mean, it, it would be kind of a moot point to um, compare, like, you know, compare it to the, to the capacity of Lincoln Financial Field because the Owls never saw that out. But again, I mean, I, I think it's great. And I think, um, I think those games uh, have the potential to, I guess, really return like that regional sort of flair. Uh, a question I have, John, especially for Holy Cross or Holy Cross uh, Boston College, excuse me. Do you see like, I guess, a draw in moving those games to like, say, Fenway, like Holy Cross Boston College to Fenway or even like Colgate Syracuse out to Ralph Wilson Stadium in Buffalo? Yeah, I, I think that could work. You know, I, I think in the Northeast, particularly, no matter where you play the game, you're, you're going to run up against the the apathy of of the Northeast fans for for college sports, particularly if it's you know, an, an FCS team playing. So there's, no, there's only so much that you can do, but I, I do think kind of, yeah, like particularly going into, into Fenway, maybe, you know, you're, you're right there in, in Boston, both of these teams probably have a huge uh, alumni base in, in Boston. I imagine that's probably the, the largest uh, alumni base for, for both of them. Otherwise it wouldn't make, make a lick of sense, but uh, I imagine that's, that's probably the best, best place to get, you know, a ton of, a ton of fans in, uh, you know, you already have a ton of public transportation right there, ready to go. And, and each of these schools could really drum up like kind of the, the Boston pride and could, could try to, um, you know, really make an event of it. I think the, the, the bigger that these schools are able to market it, the bigger the event is able to, to be, it can be something that's, that's more than, than just a football game a, a little bit, you know, probably 
not a ton more, but they can they can try to really drum up the alumni support, try to try to like, hey, this is a history thing. This, you know, this this goes back, you know, decades, goes back a hundred years, you know, that sort of thing. So I'm I'm fully in, in support of that, particularly in Fenway. Um I think Ralph Wilson in, in Buffalo might be, I don't know if that's the same, that's the same um, you know, uh, ball of wax there completely, but uh it, it, it could work. I just, I don't know enough about uh, Western New York and, and, uh, and the Cuse Colgate uh, kind of rivalry to really say if that would work, but my gut tells me no, rather do the, the carrier dome. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, I think Fenway would be great because if they, especially they schedule a game in late November, especially when the SEC is, you know, doing their, their pickup or their paycheck games, excuse me. Uh, you know, you, you might find game day going down to Fenway for uh, Holy Cross Boston College historic rivalry. I mean, that might be a stretch, but they've, there've been more surprising <laughs> uh, college game day sites uh, for Buffalo with Colgate and Syracuse. I think that one might have some potential, but only because of, uh, I think Buffalo and Western New York is sort of an open market in terms of college, as most of the Northeast is. Um, it's kind of an open market because the Buffalo Bulls, I mean, they, they've been doing great uh, lately, but again, they don't really have much of a, much of a hold in the market. They're kind, of, they're kind of a late bloomer in the region. Syracuse has a history and tradition, but their efforts have been sort of misdirected in past years with their games at MetLife, uh, trying to get into the New York City market. And uh, I mean, like earlier in the 2010s, that would have been a great effort as they tried it, but uh, it couldn't stick. And now with Army on the rise, with Rutgers, looking competitive in the big 10. I mean, who knows, maybe, I, I don't, I think this year was a good turnaround point for them. Um, you know, that New York city market might be right for the taking for Rutgers. Um, I, th I think they should try for the Western, the Western New York market. And uh, even for Colgate, even if the game isn't totally a, a huge draw, I think it would be good for them to gain that presence as well. Uh, being a Patriot league team in, in the Northeast to compete Um because, I mean, it's easier for them to compete in the Northeast and other FCS schools and other regions, too, where football has as much of a hold, especially the Southeast um, and, and out West. So um, I, I, do, I do think that um, those would be, you know, good, good ideas. Uh, as well, I want to bring up a couple of other rivalries I want to ask you about, like, viability of these returning. Just did a little bit of homework. Uh, while I don't think Penn State would give Bucknell a game every year, they have met in the past over 30 times. And to be exact, they have met, um, shoot, I had it up just now. It's always weird scheduling the, or looking at these uh, win, win and loss records on Winsipedia. It's hard, it's hard to find out my, my old 20, 22 year old eyes. Um, shoot, there we go, 38, that they've met 38 times. Yeah, they've met 38 times in the past. And uh, the schools I mentioned, some schools like Bucknell, like we all, I mean, I get, I wouldn't say it's common knowledge, but they have appeared in the, in the orange bowl and they were sort of like, I guess I wouldn't say like blue chip programs of the thirties, but just being in the Northeast popular programs of that era. Uh, what do you think about a Bucknell and Penn state meeting in the future? Do you think um, it's viable or just due to the competitive gaps it just wouldn't be, you know, I guess attractive. I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of the same as, as the, the rest of these, I, I see no reason why not if they're going to, if, if they're going to play a buy game, why not make it somebody fairly local? I mean, it seems like Penn state loves to get like a Mac school to come in, you know, once a year, I know this year they're, I think they're playing Villanova as a, as a buy game. So, you know, I think the, uh, the slate is, is a little bit full for Penn state, but I, I don't see why not with, with Bucknell, you know, now that the, the Patriot league is up to 60 scholarships, like, 
these games count for bowl eligibility. So I, I don't see why it wouldn't work. I mean, what's going to draw more, you know, Kent state or, or Bucknell in, in state college. I, I'd imagine it's, it's probably about the same, honestly. Yeah. I mean, again, I, I would agree as well. And, you know, I think for Bucknell fans, I mean, again, like, how many of them recall the great 1934 Orange Bowl season? But on that year, they did beat Penn State on the way to Miami. Uh, another one that I think would be more interesting and more viable is Rutgers with Lafayette and Lehigh as back in the late late 20s to late 60s, Lehigh, Lafayette, and Rutgers are part of a informal conference, uh, the middle three, and they played every year. And Rutgers has played both Lafayette and Lehigh over 70 times in their history. And for me, here's why I think it's an interesting case. Rutgers doesn't really have any natural rivals. I mean, Penn State, but that rivalry is historically lopsided. If you want to call it a rivalry, they only started playing regularly as Big Ten members, aside from occasional meetings. Uh, Rutgers, Maryland, I mean, there's not much interest there. And again, aside from occasional meetings in the past, it's more a more recent thing. Um, Rutgers and the service academies, uh, especially Navy, Army and Navy, uh, those were rival. Those were pretty much like rivalries, um, but they've stopped playing due to the demands of a Big Ten schedule with nine conference games. So I figure why not start with old conference rivals because the middle through is never an official conference and just play Lehigh and Lafayette every year because Rutgers really doesn't have any rivals, I think, to, to really turn to and get the fan base excited. Yeah, absolutely. And another thing I'll say, not just about Rutgers, but what about maybe at Cuse and Boston College if they're having a down year as well? Like some of these games could be pretty competitive. You know, I don't, I don't know if you've, uh, if you've taken a gander at the uh, Sagarin uh, rankings recently. But uh, like a team like Cuse last year, I know they had a, a terrible year. Uh, Tommy DeVito went down and, and that kind of the, the wheels fell off. But they were ranked around 100 in the country. And there's plenty of FCS teams that that can easily go higher than 100. I mean, none of the teams that that we're talking about here. But I mean, it's it's not out of the realm of possibility to say an FCS team, even, you know, even Ivy League FCS team could you know, could be a, in and around that ranking and, and maybe, you know, a Rutgers or a, a Cuse is favorite if they're having a down year, but it could be, it could be a pretty close game. So yeah, I would be all for it. You know, Lehigh Lafayette, Rutgers, I mean, Rutgers fans aren't going to want to do that at all. And, and Rutgers AD is not going <laughs> to, not going to want to do that. You know, they're, and, and I think they are going in the right direction with Shiano. I think they're going to be much more competitive with, you know, maybe not with the top of uh, the big 10, Penn State, Ohio State, uh, quite yet, but I think they're gonna be much more competitive than than they would be with with Lehigh and and Lafayette. But you know, if Shiano goes and uh, and they're not able to to fill that that uh, that head coaching spot with with somebody else, I think they they very well could be in a situation where they're they're competitive with with FCS teams. And and there's nothing there's nothing wrong with that whatsoever. I mean, we talk about UConn and UMass, you know some of their best rivalries could be with, with FSS FCS teams, really, if they, uh, if they wanted it to be. Yeah. I, I think that's a great point um, where I guess these programs are kind of like scared to embarrass themselves. And I guess like, as you mentioned as well, competitiveness with these rivalries, I remember in 2016, um, you know, I, I grew up 10 minutes away from fit and field, Holy cross. And I was excited to see that Holy cross uh, took UConn down to the wire, uh, the Bob Diaco UConn team uh, you know, that, that wasn't completely horrible, you know, still kind of relevant in the AAC. Uh, they took him down to the wire. This year, I honestly think Holy Cross can beat UConn at home. I mean, Holy Cross is a great thing going. 
out there with uh, with coach Chesney and two straight playoff appearances. So again, maybe not great for the FBS programs, but certainly great for the Patriot League, especially when there's been questions about the Patriot League's competitive competitiveness in the playoffs. And another example I point to before a game that I was at as, as a cadet, uh, Colgate versus Army 2018. That was a, a, Col- a Col- that was a Colgate team that had only allowed, I think, two touchdowns heading into the final weekend of the FCS season. Of course, Army beat them 28-14, but it was it was a 21-14 game until the last couple minutes. Uh, certainly a game for anyone's taking. So again, like, I mean, these won't be complete like embarrassments all the time. Like you said, uh, it would be great to see, uh, especially for a history major like myself, when really all I, all I want, you know, all I want from this world is a return to the middle three conference. You know, that would just be great. And I, and I think that would, that would uh, you know, be good for the country, the return of the middle three. Um, so segueing to our next part too, uh, in terms of competition, uh, something that you brought up before we we hit the record button was the uh, trends in the transfer portal. With uh, it's it's hard to see any trends really with so many players entering the transfer portal, but you noted the uh, the Buffalo transfers going to Kansas, following uh, Coach Lance Leipold out to Lawrence. And um, yeah, I, I just want uh, you know if you can elaborate on that and we can start a conversation. Yeah, well, I mean this is something that that people have been saying for years. This is going to happen essentially once the the transfer rules were changed and and it and it, and it is kind of happening i guess it's just kind of the, the perfect storm of it where uh, yeah where coach Leipold goes from buffalo to kansas and you have a you have an, a, a a power 5 uh, fbs team that is kind of bad enough that a lot of buffalo player or other g5 players could maybe start at you know so it's kind of the, <laughs> kind of the perfect storm we'll see if they end up end up starting there but I think the count is up to six, maybe seven Buffalo players have now transferred from, or now they're now they're Kansas players. So essentially Kansas has declared war on Buffalo. They've, they've pillaged six or seven players. I think two were, were starters. If I had that right. Yeah. Eddie Wilson was a two-year starter at a defensive tackle and, and uh, Mike Novitsky was a two-year starter at center and he was all Mac last year. So I think this is going to be kind of the way of the future. And I don't, I don't see how you can really prevent it. I mean, I guess maybe the NCAA could put in a rule saying you can't transfer to your, uh, if your head coach leaves and you can't transfer to that new school. Uh, I don't know if that would be a good thing or a bad thing. Honestly, I, I love the new transfer rules in terms of player mobility, allowing these guys to go where they want to go, get the best out of their education, get the best out of their athleticism and, and hopefully, you know, follow their dreams. At the same time, I would, I like to see the competitiveness of the sport. And, you know, I feel like a a G5 team like Buffalo is going to have a much harder time to actually build a program if they not only are going to have their, their uh, coaches pillaged by a, by a power five team once they get a good squad going, but then they're, then they're going to get all their players pillaged as well. And then that's just going to make, none of these these g5 teams even try anymore like what's the what's the point you know it's kind of like a, a, I mean, an analogy of like um i don't know say uh a patent law you know like if you if you can't actually profit off of the invention that you've made why would you even make it you know so it's to me it's like i think the the ncaa has got to do a little bit of something to protect these, these up and coming schools, you know, cause we want to have schools like Boise state. We want to have, you know, schools that are able to ascend, you know, we want to have that, you know, and, and, uh, 
I just don't know if that's going to be able to happen if if the coaches are going to get pilfered and 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 the players are then going to get pilfered as well. What, what do you think, Omar? Yeah, uh, yeah, I, I'm I'm with you on that. And something that I think is interesting is the debate with the FCS spring season. How that would sort of serve as I'm not sure exactly what the term would be, but so I guess like maybe like a launch pad to um, these you know Power Five schools for you know or even just like regular FCS, FBS schools on the group of five for FCS players where they play in the spring and then come fall um, they transfer to FBS schools and they're playing in the fall for those schools as well. And I, I got to say, I agree with that. I think that's very, it's a very um, logical uh, thing to think of the transfer portal uh, as well. I mean, it's happening with VMI, VMI having a really miracle year, the first winning season since 1977 and their quarterbacks transferring to Maryland and playing in the fall, uh, Reese Udinsky. So I think those fears are warranted. And I think um, I really feel like the magnitude of what's happening in Buffalo, I feel like it's going to be kind of rare because, um, well, I guess we'll see then because it's rare as of now, because it's the first time we're seeing coaches or players following a coach in a mass exodus sort of fashion when they take a new job. But I think again, the NCAA has just got to monitor it. I mean, things have been going well. Uh, I remember when the graduate transfer sort of thing was happening with Russell, with Russell Wilson, geez, NBA playoffs, Russell Wilson um, started happening. They call that, you know, NCAA free agency. I mean, of course we got used to it. Um, hasn't really been a bad thing for the sport, but this could potentially be something bad for the sport, um, especially for the group of five. But again, I think it's too soon to tell really, but um, yeah, I mean, that, that's just mainly my thoughts on that. Yeah. I got to say, if, anybody suffers I do think it should be the the schools and the coaches that are you know potentially making millions of dollars uh I know that's not the case of the schools in the in the g5 since they're not making any money on on football but if we have to err on on one side I do think it should be erring on player freedom and mobility but I think we got to at least analyze this and we got to think about okay like is this the best thing that we could be doing or is there a better way to do this so hopefully, yeah, like I said, it might have been the perfect storm with with a school like Kansas, who is technically power five. But in, in football, yeah, yeah, Buffalo probably would have beat them last year and, and most years, you know, so a bit of a perfect storm. So maybe that'll happen at, at schools like that. But hopefully it, it won't really uh, negatively impact the sport as a whole. Yeah, I mean, I'm all I'm all for player player freedom, player um agency as well in the NCAA I just think part of it that's that makes it hard is it's hard to, to get coaches that will stick at power fives I know uh we're speaking about Kansas it was it was scary for Army that uh Jeff Monk was going to go to Kansas um and that was something that people really hung up over it was it was a really scary time uh it's hard to get guys where you have like you know I feel like there is like a certain type of coach that stays at a at a at a or I guess there's certain categories of coaches that stay at group of five schools for a long time. It's like either you're at a very unique situation, like the service academies where you have Calhoun, Niamatololo and Munkin staying for a while, or you're sort of like in that middle ground, like in the American where you have Luke Fickle, or you're just an old guy, you know, riding it out like Frank Solich. I mean, I feel like that's like definitely the three categories you can fit long-term group of five coaches. Everyone else is just really in there for, you know, as, as a launch pad to better jobs. Um, so again, we'll have to monitor the next couple of years and see, um, I don't, I don't know if Buffalo, uh, skips a beat, maybe a little bit. I mean, you mentioned they lost their all conference center. They still got really important pieces as well. Still, they still have Kevin Marks and Kyle Van Trees. didn't watch much Buffalo football, but from what I saw, um, you know, really, really a solid team, solid, well-rounded team. 
uh, aside from Jarrett Patterson, the big one, the big right. back that people remember. Um, but again, we'll, we'll see. Um, and even if they do drop off, I do feel like a drop off this year would, while the transfers would sort of aid that the max just overall, I mean, it's rotational really. Um, and it's really interesting how rotational it is, but no doubt. Yeah. Uh, I, I think, uh, we covered all of our topics. Um, John, if you have anything else to add, anything to contribute, um, you know, one thing that I think I forgot to mention is, and I don't know if, I don't know if you mentioned it either but the Cuse versus Colgate series is actually tied right now at 31 31 and 5 so the winner oh, wow. okay. the winner of that. the next game will take the lead in the series I, I had no idea I knew they played a lot wasn't sure how much it was I looked at the Wikipedia page and like the sort of bullet points they had like they had a fan running the last time they ever played in Hamilton they a fan ran on the field and made a tackle but that that is interesting something that you meant you mentioned that something that would have been interesting to me is I would have loved to see a 2018 game when you have that, that Colgate team that allowed um, 30, I think it was like 37 points um, in FCS games and 10 FCS games. And uh, that 2018 Syracuse team, you know, Eric Dungy versus that Colgate defense. Well, yeah, he might've, might've tore them apart. I, I mean, I don't think it would have been too bad of a game as well, but I mean, with that point too, um, me, I'm a, I'm a history guy. I love the history of the game. Uh, you know, just look, just look at some of these schools and their contributions to the game because um, whether it was just luck and geography being close to the New York city market and getting these bowl appearances, they're important for the history of the game. And they had their glory days, like the 32 Colgate team, 34 Bucknell team, Holy Cross made the orange bowl. And I think 46 and in 42, they spoiled Boston colleges, um, bid to, to the orange bowl as well with the uh, infamous coconut Grove game, where if Boston college would have won, the whole team would have perished in the coconut Grove fire. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, that's a that. that's a common that's a commonly known thing. Yeah, so um, Holy Cross upset Boston College, and they, there is a celebration planned at the Coconut Grove in Boston, and um, yeah, it ended up burning down that night. And I guess ironically, losing that game to Holy Cross and not getting the Orange Bowl bid saved you know those Boston College players' lives. It's really a, an interesting thing, um, for sure. But again, just like do your history as well. You know, I guess study the history. Uh, these teams are important, and they're you know. The Patriot League matters, to say the least. Um, All right, man. Patriot League coming back. Yes, sir, indeed. Um, I mean, they had, they had a nationally televised game in the spring. The, I'm not sure how often that's going to be, but I was nationally televised, uh, the championship game. Um, it, it was it was good to see. Um, but, yeah, uh, John, if you don't have anything else to say. Um, yeah, all right. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Omar. Oh, thanks for coming on. I really appreciate it. And until next time, peace, love, and soul, everyone.